The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Okay, so I'll do the intro and then we'll, uh, yes. we'll come over to you. We're live. Okay, so welcome to the Urban Broadcast Collective here at the Peer Congress 2018 in Perth, Western Australia. I'm Paul McGinn, aka Planographer, and I'm here with my colleague Dr. Tony Matthews from Griffith University. And we are delighted today to be speaking to the Minister for Housing, the Honourable Peter Tinley. Welcome, Peter. Hello, thanks for having me. It's appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you for making the time. Hey, no, it's good. So you've just given your keynote speech uh-huh. here at the opening uh, on the last day of the Congress. Um, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, which uh, constituency you represent, oh, okay. and a little bit about your constituency? Yeah, well, excellent. So... Um, my, I was elected to the parliament in a by-election in 2009 and came to the parliament formally in 2010. I took over from the uh, the former premier, Alan Carpenter, who was a uh, who in the 2008 election led uh, the party and unfortunately we didn't get returned. It was my opportunity to come into the parliament. It was never a lifelong ambition, uh, or the combination of professional ambition to be a member of parliament. I had 25 years in the army prior to that and, and then... Uh, a few years in business and running a few businesses. So I grew up in that district and it was great. So the seat of Willoughby is a, I suppose, at the time when I got elected, boundaries just shifted a little bit. It was a blamange of suburbs, really. Yeah. There's no distinct village. And that's in the south of the metropolitan yeah. region, just so, the, so that uh, yeah. non-West Australians in North Perthites don't, yes. you know, don't know their geography. That's right. And as I say, it's a, a group of suburbs uh, now with, a, with its greatest redeeming feature is, is the... Uh, urban wetlands that are in there. There's a large set of wetlands in there. We just uh, at the winning election for the McGowan government uh, was a centrepiece of uh, of our platform to save and prevent a four lane freeway going through that. Um, so that was part of uh, row eight. Row eight. That was the row eight extension. That's right. And uh, and it was a tremendous thing to be amongst such a, a such a you know grassroots community. People who had never protested before. Ordinary normal people just getting out in the streets over something they really activated and the reason I raise that is because it it alerted me to how actually connected people are to their urban environment and how how important it is to bring them along to the changes that you might want to, uh, to do to that environment built for in particular. That's interesting Minister because that's something that we find as well through our work is that this is not, you know, the urban affairs, urban policy, urban development, these are not distant issues that actually matter to people's lived experience. And you're mm. obviously finding that in your role as well. And, and they're vertically vertically integrated in terms of our, our thinking. So the, the person in the street in the house who sees a whole lot of battle axe blocks getting developed around them and the additional cars and the greater thermal, you know, sink that you're actually creating as, as you lose canopy to make those blocks, they're actually having an opinion about that. And they're part of that vertical conversation, right up through to strategic statewide planning, where um, they're not they're not unrelated. They're actually contiguous, and, and we need to be very conscious of that, particularly as uh, as political leaders, where we've got to create the consensus for the things we want to do. So infill is a really good example. Urban infill and urban renewal is a really good example of it, 
unfortunately, as you would have canvassed before, the word density is a you know is a dirty word. Yeah. So we we, yeah. we coined the term thoughtful density, um, <laughs> and it's contextual. And trying to have that conversation with the community in a city like Perth, where we've got the highest number of single lot dwellings in the country, um, where there's a there's a been an intensive marketing campaign over many successive years from builders and developers around that idea of a single house, single block. Um, there's there's a lot of work to be done to build the consensus we need. And how do you, um, I'm interested in this concept, this thoughtful density concept, how do you characterise that? It's very much contextual. So we're doing Metronet, which is an urban rail plan, $3.4 billion investment into 72 kilometres, additional kilometres of urban rail. Um, inside that there are all those uh, uh, stations and, and and the tides of transport and developments we're trying to do around that, it, the context is in one place, which is a place called Forestfield, which is sort of outer, peri-urban almost, but not quite. Um, uh, the land value around there doesn't itself support the sort of density we might be talking about in other, juris- in other jurisdictions, other parts of the city. So uh, the idea of getting above four storeys potentially in a place like that in the next 10 to 20 years yeah. is about the best we'd hope for. So land tenure and how we control land tenure for future use is more important there than another Todd, which is inner urban mm. or near inner urban over by the airport, only Redcliffe, for those who know it, which is only not even 10 k's from the CBD. But eight, yeah, but 7 or 8 k's from yes. the CBD. Yeah. And so what we do there is really, really quite different. So, And the conversation with the community around that would be that who would be resistors, if you like, or we can convert them to, to adopters if we get that conversation right. So that's why my remarks there, I talked about the Department of Communities, which I'm a part of, a human services agency, which housing sits inside, as being the, the developers of the software in terms of who will live in there, rather than have a straight conversation about the built form and we need apartment blocks and we need, and start talking about height and size. We actually talk about who do we want to live there and what's the sort of demographic representation we need to have there to create the genuine diversity that we know yeah. research is in around those those that, that demographic diversity creating vibrant communities? It's interesting. Um, I think the point there you're raising there about communities and that, that for us as academic researchers in urban planning spaces, I mean that you're, you've got you're trying to put I think a, a humanistic dimension to, mm. to the policy process rather than the physical dimensions mm. to things as mm. well so for, for me that's quite enlightening to hear in many senses that mm. that you're trying to bring in that humanistic aspect into things because planning i think for myself and tony is you know it is about people first not about subdivision and i think that very much the planning system here is very much geared towards how many lots can we create you know as quickly as possible I and mean, that's important of course but you've got to be thinking about people first. It is. It really is so important, Paul, because, because so often of our, you look at our system, and you can look at our system very from different angles, but you hit on it already. The planning system is actually a supporter of the yield outcomes, and it's, a, uh, it's very much about the resource application for yield, both private and, and public capital, and, and that's completely understandable. But now we have to look at who has the capacity to actually be the leaders in reversing that and saying, actually, describe success first for this community. Describe what it looks like when it's a thriving, vibrant place to be. Then determine your procurement cycle. The whole procurement cycle is reversed now. So 
even with Crown Land, we have a piece yeah. of Crown Land in my department. We go out to, to, to in that procurement process, we go out to the market to get EOYs, and they say, oh, we're going to do this nice, bright, shiny building. Now, the back back of that is always the slide rule around yield. Yeah. Which is, you know, you can't get away from it. We all have to be, it's got to be economic, I get it. But really, instead, we're, we're doing a body of work inside the Department of Housing to make a contribution here. It's talking reversing that and saying, okay, in this precinct, and geofence it, if you like, and just say, in this precinct, these are the sorts of people we think would be there. And it's not uninformed by the outer community. Yeah. So, for example, we've got a regeneration project out here in uh, seven caves from the city in a place called Bentley, just on the other side of Vic Park. Had a horrible uh, uh, council flat on it, a series of high-rise council flat that's well past its use by date. It's about 26 hectares, six or seven k's from the CBD. It's basically a greenfield site in a brownfield zone. Curtin University, retail out there, it's a, a centre of, of, on one on one flank is, the, sorry, Curtin University, and on the other flank there's a sort of Vic Park retail out there, yep. the CBD, and so, and there's an age precinct if you like there so you must look at that where there is potentially 2500 dwellings can go into there you've got to be looking at that as how does that nest inside that and take advantage of the opportunity to create it sorry i'm banging on no no it's It's really interesting stuff i think i mean it's fascinating it's great that you've you've highlighted um stuff in relation to urban regeneration as well and kind of you know how you kind of realize some of these policy ideas and visions that you that's what you you have in the gut with the wider government have um, you mentioned one of the things you mentioned there just in your keynote you were talking about um, social housing mm. um, now social housing over the last 20 30 years in Western liberal democracies has kind of fallen to the side if not fallen off the agenda table in a big way because it's about private rental and stuff can you give us a little idea of kind of what your policy agenda is in that space I mean you touched on it in your in your presentation you mentioned you're committing a certain amount of money there, a couple yeah, hundred million dollars, basically. That's right. Uh, and again, for those who are not familiar with the jurisdiction of, uh, of West Australian the housing, we're a cross-subsidised model where we will take Crown land and partner with the private sector to deliver um, um, self-funded, basically, social housing. So we'll take, we'll join with a, a private developer uh, and obviously share the risk. We'll take a piece of the profit, an appropriate share of the profit relative to our inputs, and we also have an agreement with those developers that they will sell us at cost a certain percentage of the total development. So out of 100, we'll get 30. Of those 30, uh, we'll put sort of 20 to a shared equity scheme of some kind where we use our, our uh, government-funded uh, loan book for low deposit lenders. So that's, that's Keystar? Keystar. Just so that uh, yeah. non-West Australians know, mm-hmm. the, know the name of the program? A huge success story, and, and uh, I'll always be a strong advocate for it. And then the final sort of 10 or 10% will be social housing. So we salt and peppered it through a development, but uh, that's the, the generalised outcome of it. Um, we committed in the budget yesterday to $394 million uh, to get on with that and deliver 1,300 dwellings. Now, they won't all be social out of those. Um, we've also included 300 uh, universal design um, um, uh, dwellings as well, uh, about 300 or social will be coming there. And so there's a, a range of it. The, the thing to talk about here in social housing, this important part of our urban fabric, is understanding the history of, of social housing. I grew up in a social house that my parents bought um, as their income improved and their opportunity improved. Um, social housing in Western Australia used to be 
the housing of, of, for low wage earners. Yeah. Now it is the housing of last resort. So about 4% of total stock in Western Australia is social. And so it, we're creating a circumstance now where there's only only those who are the most desperate can get a public house. And there's a, there's a philosophical discussion about, well, yeah. should we or shouldn't we be involved in that anything other than that market? Uh, and then there's an advent of the community housing sector, the not-for-profit sector, which can take advantage of, of Commonwealth um, uh, incentives to actually sure. get the yeah, CRA, yeah. Yeah. How, how, how active is the community housing sector in WA? It's, it's not actually... I mean, I did all my early planning training in, in Ireland, which is very similar to the British model, and, and community housing is a, is a, it's a fairly active sector. It's not that active. It's... Particularly in Britain, it's very active compared to Ireland, but it, it exists in Ireland. It's not something I hear much about in Australia. I have no idea what it's what it's doing in Western Australia. So how is the community housing sector performing? It, 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 it's patchy. And, and I don't mean that as a, a, a statement of disrespect for the community, those organisations. Uh, we have a hybrid system here. So the question is, the fundamental question, does the Crown deliver that, that, that social housing thing or that mass response to it? Or is the private sector in the in the form of not-for-profits but it's still it, it's not for dividend actually yeah. it does make a profit so yeah. we're getting the getting it right or are they better to deliver mass housing um i actually i actually think we can get better leverage around mass housing uh in inside the public sector although there's been some advent of changes there with the national housing infrastructure um, national housing infrastructure finance corporation the, the bond aggregator about how that might be brought to bear in the community housing sector where I think the community housing sector operates the best is where it has an, a, a level of scale and agility to deliver wraparound services. So youth homelessness, for example, or transitional step-up, step-down housing from various institution, institutionalised people, mental health or, or in the, in the uh, justice system, they're, they're yeah. really, really important yeah. things. I, th- I mean, my... Uh, understanding and speaking with people here who are involved in housing is that it's it is quite a specialist sector in many senses, just like you kind of mm. described. There, it doesn't it's not as broad as you would find the kind of the social housing sector uh, in the UK or That's Ireland, true. basically. And it's I think when you say patty, it's quite there's a small number of providers basically in yeah. that space as well. So it doesn't have a big critical mass. Not stuff. here in West Australia. Not, and yeah. So funnily enough, we we've 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 come and said, let's let's get all all get in the room and have another conversation around this. So there's a study underway. Um, we're doing some sort of ground truthing, if you like. PwC are doing that for us, uh, and then that's going to inform the conversation with the community. It's not a I didn't want to scare the horses. Not yeah. a review. We're yeah. not sort of we're, we're just saying what was the question we asked when we when we started down this journey um, when they amalgamated a lot of smaller community housing groups, well-meaning people, but just not sustainable. Uh, a previous Labor government said, "No, no, let's make do this at scale." We've only got still only got around four thousand yeah. dwellings that are in the community housing sector out of the forty-two thousand across the state. Two point six million people in Western Australia. Seventy-nine percent of them live in Perth. So there's a, you know, a couple of things to really understand about the nature of uh, how we go about what we do. So, is um, I think there's now with the advent of the NIFIC, or the National Housing Infrastructure Finance Corporation. CRA and GST offsets that the not-for-dividend group can get hold of can actually maybe allow them to deliver at scale. But I would think one of the things they need to do is have a mix around not just the public housing, the the, the most um, prioritised people. Maybe they can move back 
into that, and this is just a thought yeah. at the moment to be tested by the study, maybe they can move back into that market of low-wage earners that the social housing used to accommodate and does in the UK as a transitional position. Um, I know you're pressed for time, so last question. Um, your policy priorities over the next year, basically, what's what's top of the list for you, basically? What's your, oh, what's your big drive? Very, very, very clear. Uh, and that is actually becoming the... Uh, residential developer for the Crown land around Metronet precincts the, the you know, as they come on. Uh, that's the way we set the budget spend on that, uh, to making sure we're intimate to the placemaking uh, and and those sort of placemaking outcomes that we want to do. And one of those things is at the ministerial level to describe success. So Todd at Redcliffe, Todd at Forestfield, Todd at Bayswater, what does it look like in a mature state when it's successful? And there's a lot in that. Okay. Well, Minister Tenley, thank you so much for your time. No, Sounds no. like you're, there's a lot of nice policy integration going on there with obviously your other ministerial colleague in, in planning and housing. And I mean, housing is one of the biggest land uses that we have, you know, in any city, basically. So it's positive to hear that there's good kind of collaborative thinking going on there at that kind of at, at that structural level. Mm. So thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank Thanks you very much. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thanks, Tony. Can we get a quick photograph with you? Yes. Yeah.